Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. Call me Spider-Man! I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I'm Spider-Man. I want him strung up by his web! Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I want Spider-Man! Hello, true believers! Welcome to the Spider-Man Book Club. This podcast is dedicated podcast. What did I say? I said podcast. Don't no big deal. Um, <clears throat> this podcast is dedicated to digging into the library of everyone's favorite wall crawling menace and his spectacular corner of the Marvel universe. I'm your host JJ Hodges, and joining me today from the Nerd Room podcast is Carlos. Round of applause for Carlos. There it is. It's just Yay. me. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today um, with uh, one of my uh, absolute favorite uh, Spider-Man stories, despite how kind of sad it is. Uh, <laughs> um, we are going to be talking Ultimate Spider-Man, The Death of Spider-Man, which I erroneously kept calling when I was trying to do some research on it, The Death of Peter Parker. Um because part, I, I kind of think that's how it was billed back in the day. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I think it was Death of Spider-Man. But um, I think because the book at the time was so laser focused on Peter Parker's life, maybe that's why you had that um, that lens on it. But that's yeah. that's potentially true. Uh, also, I, 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 I think of it because it... It is just the death of Peter uh, because Spider-Man several months later would live on again at, through Miles Morales. Uh, and that episode is available in the backlog with uh, Lance Laster. Uh, Lance, I said your name right that time. Uh, so <laughs> um, I you know, recommend checking that out. And um, yeah, but for now, we're going we're gonna to get to know Carlos's uh, secret origin, uh, as it were. Well, that's a DC thing. Uh, whatever the Marvel version of that is, that's what we're going to do. Um, so, Carlos, uh, first question I have for you. When were you bitten by the uh, genetically altered spider? Oh, to be honest, like, Spidey has been with me from my earliest days. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have really vivid memories of just kind of that 80s era of comic book fandom where everything was the super friends mm -hmm. and then spider-man and his amazing friends on the weekends and the uh the old 66 spider-man show used to be uh a regular on uh, the like kind of children's variety hour type shows locally type of thing so mm -hmm. yeah spidey has been ever present with me uh, i remember just watching ravenously the uh, electric company for just like little <laughs> snippets of the live action spidey and whatnot so oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's been with me for a long time man so there wasn't really a genesis point for me but uh bruce clark and peter have always been a, a big part of my life from day one good uh uh good uh role models to have growing up too um yeah and... it would have been uh some uh some kind of criminal or something like that without their tutelage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't we all? Um, just kidding. I'm very much a bad guy. No, I'm kidding. You know, even though I yell at my cat every now and then, I still love him. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the electric company. I forgot about that, that, that he was on there uh, for a while. Um, I don't, I never actually saw it, but I remember seeing clips of it. I think when the first, Sam Raimi movie came out, you know, they there were like specials on MTV about like the origins of Spider-Man and they showed clips of that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, and I don't I, like I just remember being mind blown that there was like a live action Spider-Man type of thing, right? And Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's pictures from when I was a kid of like, "Ah, come meet Spider-Man at Mark's <laughs> work warehouse and stuff like that." So That's awesome. <laughs> um yeah, I, I do have very fond memories of uh of the character growing up that's awesome um so do you have uh throughout 
Uh, it could be villain, hero, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, character in the Spider-Man mythos? Yeah, and you know what? He's actually, well, not so much a new character, but a new spin on the character. And I'm going to plant my flag in this guy, and I, I want to officially be uh, the Flash Thompson Venom of the uh-huh. Spider-Man book club here. Because, uh, yeah, I discovered the character kind of in recent years i'd like to say that i was just kind of reading and saw that evolution play out uh live and in living color but uh yeah you know the character rose to some prominence and i decided to do the digital dive into what he was all about and growing up on spidey What did you do? What did you do? But uh, I'm hoping he's available. Um, can you can you repeat that? I don't know what the hell happened, but my cat <laughs> ran across the computer. Uh, yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, I, I I saw the cat and I or like the back of the cat, and then everything froze. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, everything cut out there for a second. So. Uh, just if you don't mind, uh, okay, so you were saying uh, Flash Thompson Venom. Yeah, do you want me to just take it right from the top and then you can just cut my previous bit yeah. if it's even in there? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so if I was to choose one character, it's actually a more recent character in the Spidey Pantheon, and it would be uh, the Flash Thompson version of Venom. Uh, oh. obviously from years gone by, we all knew Flash Thompson and despised Flash Thompson as uh, <laughs> the foil for Peter. But, uh, yeah, once he got reinvented and I took a bit of a dive into that war hero, uh, wounded veteran version of the character and then his integration into kind of the Venom program and then becoming a hero in his own right. Like I just absolutely fell in love with flash and I think he's a character with a lot of pathos and he's honestly the most interesting wearer of that particular symbiote for my money and uh, my favorite version of venom. So sure. All the guys have picked all the other uh, characters in (laughs) Peter Parker's friends and foes gallery, but uh, yeah, you can uh, mark me down as that guy. Uh, that yeah, I'm I'm happy to say you're the you're the first one to say that, and and I definitely agree with you. He's a great character. I really fell in love with the character from um, uh, Spider Island, which I discovered actually much later because I remember thinking <laughs> seeing the the comic uh, like in in like the comic book store bookstores where it was like the Spider Man mask over the um, Statue of Liberty, and thinking that looks stupid, and <laughs> just never like reading it. And then years and years later, reading it and going, "This, what was I thinking? This is great!" Oh man, but that's that's the blessing and the curse of Spidey books is that there is so many and so many cash ins that you know some great stories ended up getting passed by because so many of us as readers have been pat burnt by buying kind of subpar offerings or things that were made just to sell on uh, the fact that they're Spider-Man books. So, yeah, I can't fault you for missing out on something, man, because it certainly happens to me all the time. It's it's definitely true, because I feel like I, I... I try not to be this way, but once in a while, there's a... If it's a popular story, then I immediately kind of back away from it and go, well, if everybody else likes it, I don't want to like it. Like, I'm some hipster, right? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Comic but, hipster? But, yeah, I guess. But, like, then I discover it later and go, okay, this wasn't so bad. Um, or this was really great, and I'm like super late to the train, like a like a dork. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, all of us, man. That's all of us. Yeah, you know, it's uh, but that's that's the fun of doing this podcast too, is getting uh, lots of suggestions from people on uh, on books that I either haven't had the time to read or have uh, never heard of in some cases, and that's been a lot of fun to discover those. Um, but. Um, before we get into the story, I have one more question for you, which is, out of all the Spidey lore, could be video games, movies, comics, TV, do you have a favorite costume? 
Oh, a favorite costume. Yeah, like the classic is the classic is the classic. Yeah. Um, the symbiote is, you know, just a just a slight step below that one. But mm-hmm. if those two are off the table, shoot. Probably like that hoodie version of the Scarlet Spider costume. Uh-huh. Um, for whatever reason, my youngest daughter is just latched onto that and adores that look for the character. And so um, he's become a bit of a favorite in our house. So yeah, I'll, I'll stick my flag in that one. That's a that's a good one. Um, and I, I'm surprised to hear how many people like it. Um, where I, I enjoyed seeing it in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like there was a good, like, uh, you know, nod to the fans there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, I never got into that one. And, you know, so I'm surprised how many people have, you know, and it just, it's, it's, I don't know. That That's what's fun for me asking these questions. It's, is hearing people, you know, Flash Thompson Venom, like, okay cool <laughs> you yeah. know and 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 it's not just like a oh no, no we just like them like you had you, you've got good you've got good reasons you know um, and that's what i love about my guests here they're uh they're the best Excellent. so uh suck it lauer your batman book club guests aren't as good as my spider-man guests i'm kidding he's not listening <laughs> so <laughs> um so anyway we're getting into uh the death of spider-man which is a um uh really at, at just one of the best damn spider-man books that's out there in my opinion um so we're written by brian michael bendis penciled by mark bagley or yeah bagley uh inked by andy lanning with andrew hennessy colored by justin ponzer uh rest in peace justin justin ponzer you were uh, you know, you were a hell of a hell of a colorist. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, lettered by VCs Corey uh, Petit and Joe Sabino, and uh, ran from March 2011 to June 2011. And uh, I will say to you that uh, June 2011 was a uh, was kind of a one-two punch for me, where my favorite version of Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, was killed, and uh, Green Lantern came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remember it happening all kind of all at once. <laughs> uh, uh, and, that is a fandom double whammy. But I did. But I'll, I'll admit that at the time, and even to this day, I, I defend the Green Lantern movie. I think it's you know the way you know I, I did an episode about it a couple years ago. I still maintain it's that close to perfect. You know, um, it it just it just needed some a couple of tweaks in the either the scripting or the um, uh, editing era area, I should say enough about that but i remember because i was out of town i was on vacation visiting my sister when this issue came out of uh, ultimate spider-man so you know obviously not in my normal town so i went to the comic book store to buy this special just so i could read it and know what happened and and just kind of reading it and just like you know sitting like sitting on the couch with my sister just kind of sitting back going okay it it happened. They actually did kill him. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a fake out. It wasn't like a being sent back in time thing, like the Return of Bruce Wayne stuff. You know, it, it no, he's he's dead, and that uh, that was that was tough. This was my favorite, still is my favorite version of Spider Man. You know, yeah. Well, I think that's that that was always the charm and pull of the Ultimate books was that they very quickly established through ultimate Spider-Man and almost more so ultimate X-Men that anything could happen and that mm-hmm. these comics had real stakes. Right. And it, it was almost an answer at the time to what was happening in the Marvel books mm-hmm. in that there was so many of them, there was so many uh, crossovers and ultimately nothing ever mattered because there'd be, a bit of retconning or a super powered um, deus ex machina that would revert everything back to the way it was. And the ultimate universe was the first time that they were like, Oh shoot. Well, because it's its own thing um, and self-contained, we'll do whatever we feel we need to do to tell a great story. And there was stakes and you had 
beloved characters that would never get killed or maimed in the regular books have mm-hmm. terrible things happen to them. And you got to see some really, really interesting and compelling stories come out of that. And that's on top of just doing their own spin on uh, beloved classics as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, they, they were really, uh, they were really smart with these books. And um, I remember years and years ago, I think it's in the, like the, one of the ultimate collections, not ultimate, uh, but of uh, uh, Ultimate X Men, where they have the script to uh, Bendis, what Bendis was originally going to write, Ultimate uh, X Men, and it had like his script for the what would have been the first issue. And I remember reading it; it was vastly different from the one that Mark Miller gave us. Um, but I, I remember thinking, like, you know, man, isn't this cool that somewhere, you know, in the multiverse, right? Oh, that's where the saga we're in now. Um, that maybe this this one got published and maybe it was just as popular maybe it was more popular maybe it was less popular who knows um and i remember thinking though that i i loved bendis doing ultimate spider-man it's it's just the the perfect spider-man book um but um you know when he writes the regular spider-man in the 616 universe i remember always, I, I always thought like i, I find his spider-man he writes him too similarly. So when like a 16 year old is, is being kind of obnoxious, it's whatever. But when like a 30 year old man is doing it, it's like, okay, like this, this guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there is that. And I find that when, when he has all the toys, he gets a little lost um, in his own machinations. Like the same yep. thing happened with his Superman book. Oh yeah. That, um, he just had too many pieces to play with, but when he has to kind of build things from scratch, that's when he really thrives or on a character like daredevil who, who really his, his main, um, his main friend, his main foe, his main focus is New York city. So you you just have some very simple pieces to build some pretty special stories off of that. So sure. Yeah, I think that's why Ultimate Spider-Man works so well was because he does have a great grasp on these characters, but because he had to kind of take his time and build out uh, the world piece by piece, he ended up with something extremely special. Uh, that, that's such a great way to put it, you know, and, and and I, you know, I revisit, you know, different pieces of Ultimate Spider-Man all the time, you know, when I'm looking for something classic Spider-Man, that's what I want to go to. Uh, which is part of the reason I was semi disappointed in like the animated series because <laughs> it's just it's uh kind of like the book but not really <laughs> um, and uh, you know I, I can enjoy it for what it is but at the same time it's like there there is sort of a, a feeling of like well this maybe this wasn't made for me you know what I mean oh yeah no it was made to sell toys to sure <laughs> yeah to kind of the ten year old and under crowd yeah no it. And it's hard to watch that one coming off of like the 90s show and then Spectacular Spider-Man even more so. And oh, yeah. When you, when you know that Spectacular Spider-Man was sacrificed to make something that's just a glorified commercial, it, it's hard to swallow. It, that, it's a good way to put it too. And, uh, and I, think, I think part of what killed... Um, the spectacular Spider-Man was the Disney buyout because that happened around that time in 2008 or nine, I think uh, maybe it's later than that. Um, but, um, but, you know, Hey, you know, we've gotten so much from the Disney era, you know, not just Spider-Man, but Marvel. So it's, there's good and bad, you know, yeah. <laughs> like with any of these buyouts. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not all roses, but there is some wonderful things that come out of it for sure. Uh, one of the things that I, I thought about while reading this was uh, I feel like Bendis has a really strange relationship with God in the sense that um, in this, like Norman, like Osborne keeps talking about, it's God's will that I'm here. God wants you dead, Peter. And the the scrolls in Secret Invasion, you know, the scroll queen did kind of the same thing that, you know, God wants us to do this. God wants us to take over. and And that just like, blew my mind a little bit like rereading this going oh yeah like bet this has a weird relationship with god or (laughs) something i don't know um but at the same time it's also kind of sadly relevant that we can relate people of like bad people using 
God or religion as their excuse to do terrible things, right? Yeah. One, well, he, he he does have a way of presenting that. And yeah, it, it is reflective of our society where you have people co-opting the religion and twisting it into something that serves just their own selfish desires and own uh, gain. But then mm-hmm. that's juxtaposed with the heroes that... Um, I think that that's what he's saying is that you have these heroes who know what is right and that mm-hmm. might be a bit of a a commentary on people who live kind of by the truth of what those words are versus people that take them for their own gain and to maintain their own power and control. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope for a lot of people and, and I like that that Peter just doesn't, you know, at that point, he just doesn't have time for it. You know, like he's kind of done being the, the, the quippy fun Spider-Man at this point, he's just all adrenaline, you know, at the end of the book, he's all adrenaline, he's all rage, you know, but he's also not looking to, to kill Osborne, you know, or any of the sinister six at that point. Like he's just trying to protect his neighborhood, protect his family. And yeah, no, he's in full survival mode for sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I reread read this a couple of times actually before we recorded. And I, and what I really loved, you know, what stood out to me was that, you know, with uh, Bagley and uh, uh, Lanning and Ponzer, you know, their, their art in it, I mean, it is top notch. Like this could have been the last book that any of them did. And I think they could have gone out on a high note. It's something to be proud of. Yeah. Um, I know people's mileage may vary with Bigley's Spider-Man. I personally quite like it. And yeah, I think he was a great choice for this book. Not that he's not one of the most seminal Spider-Man artists of all time. So sure. that automatically makes him a great choice. But yeah. uh, j- just his expressiveness and the way he conveys emotion and not even with your heroes and villains, but with that supporting cast. And he gets a lot of mileage out of Mary Jane and out of Aunt May, who really, by the time that story ends, like that's the audience's pov character right and um that your heart is breaking for them and with them and that's that's a testament to both uh the work that bagley's putting on the page and just how well bendis scripted that and plotted that book so um uh, i think he did great oh you know 100 percent um for for my money the the best type of comic book is um is the kind where I'm not distinguishing the art from the from the writing because there's mm-hmm. some books I've read that have great art and the story's terrible and vice versa. Um, whereas you know, and I've had a lot of conversations with my sister about this, where she said she if if one if one if one of them doesn't work, the entire book doesn't work for her. And I can really sympathize with that. You know, when you know if they're not if the writer and artist aren't in sync then the story is going to suffer and it just and it just feels you can feel the disconnect you know what i mean like um when you have like denny o'neill or neil adams or you have a stanley and jack kirby you know you have a bendis and a bagley you have you know an an automatic winning team you know what i mean yeah for sure like for me um i can read books that are written really well that I don't necessarily love the art in, that it's not to my taste. Mm-hmm. To a lesser extent, I can appreciate a book that's beautifully drawn, um, but at the mercy of some poor writing. Like probably the best example of that is All-Star Batman and Robin, where you have some of Jim Lee's greatest pages of all time yep. uh, in the Batman world, coupled with the most awful writing ever from Frank Miller. Maybe not not ever, because he he certainly gave us the Dark Knight strikes again. So um, (laughs) that's something else. Yeah, that's a pretty high bar to clear for bad writing. But um, (laughs) yeah, like I have a harder time with good, uh, good looking books, but poor writing. Um, 
but like you said, when you get that marriage of a really well-written story and somebody who can spin a tale and then an artist who's talented and can take those words and those scripts and turn it into something that no other media can really match, like that's when you hit that sweet spot. And that's when you have a comic book that as you're reading it and as your imagination brings that those story elements together, it's almost like being in a movie where you are watching or absorbing a single unified work of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's like the sweet spot, right? Where there is no Brian Michael Bendis, amazing artist or amazing writer or Mark Bagley, amazing artist. And that's why you're buying in. You're just buying it. Cause this is just a great, great piece of comic book literature. Right. It, and that's, and that's evident throughout this, you know, and, I remember being really sad, like when back when Bagley left the book for a while, um, and of course it's like if anybody's going to come back or or do the uh, quote unquote the end of Ultimate Spider-Man, the killing of Peter Parker, it had to have been him, um, because you know who else can do it? You know, no offense to Stuart Amonen or David LaFuente that took over, um, they're they're great artists, but you know there was there was sort of a signature style to the book for a very long time you know, for those first like hundred some issues that they had and you just can't duplicate that. You know, that's something that like, I think Stan Lee had with Kirby when they were doing uh, fantastic four in the sixties. Um, but to go that long with just one team is pretty incredible. So it's like, well, if you're going to end the book, you better end it with the people that started it because they're, the, they're going to know how to do it and do it right. You know? Yeah, no, that's very true. But yeah, it's it. I, I think what makes part of what makes this story so great, what makes Ultimate Spider-Man so great, is that you know I I felt like reading it for the first time. You know, throughout all of Ultimate Spider-Man, I'm really rooting for Peter Parker, and not even realizing that um, throughout a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man, not necessarily this one, but. Um, there's there's several issues where he's not Spider-Man, where he's just Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this one, we get a little bit of both, right? Where he gets to do heroic things as Spider-Man. And at the end of the book, he has his mask off, so he gets to be Peter. And I love that there's... It's not world-ending stakes, right? You know, there's the Avengers versus Ultimates things that is happening on the other side of New York. But there's this that's... It's just a very personal story between you know, the Sinister Six and, uh, well, five at that point, right? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Peter, and, and it just feels, but it feels gigantic. It feels so huge. And, and there's something to be said about just stories that are magnificently done that feel world-ending, even though it's not world-ending, it's just, just in this little neighborhood in Queens, right? Yeah, well, and that goes back to kind of what I was saying about the ultimate universe off the hop is that because you have those stakes in place, you really feared for Peter through that entire story. And that's that's what the quote unquote world ending aspect of it was, was that mm-hmm. this kid's A, his identity will be known to everybody now. Uh, and B, you know, we're used to those stories where, well, how does he get out of this? Like, how does everybody forget his identity? And how does he right. go back to his normal life that we enjoy kind of issue to issue? And then it, it keeps building to the fact that, yeah, this is the ultimate universe and Spider-Man might actually die. And yep. how do we come back from that? It's, uh, it, and it's, it's interesting because it's, it's very much on the nose right at the beginning, right? You know, where he, he meets up with uh, Captain America in the uh, Forest Hill Cemetery mm-hmm. and Cap just kind of lays it all out. He's like, I don't think you're ready for this. I think you're you're just a kid who's acting like this is a lot of fun, but this is life or death. And, um, and, and I like that Peter really takes that to heart. You know, like he kind of... You know, he jokes like, oh, you're going to say something else that's more insulting. But, you know, it's like at the same time, it's he, he's listening to him and going, he, you know, he's right about that. And and I got to say that the one thing about that scene that, that bugged me was feeling like I just wish we'd gotten more 
Cap and Spider-Man in the MCU. You know, that's if there's one complaint about, I have about those movies, and that would be it, is that we really only got to see Peter interact with, with Tony and a couple of, you know, and Doctor Strange, you know, um, but not really with uh, with Captain America, you know, uh, which is a shame because stories like this just go to show that, you know, Peter looks up to him. Peter, he takes his, uh, he takes his advice. He takes, he listens to everything he says and even has a line, you know, where he says like, if that guy barks an order at you, you're, you're going to listen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be interesting if they had a chance to kind of explore that dynamic a bit more because the way he reacts to Steve Rogers is very different than the way he reacts to Tony Stark. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, things are different and Sony doesn't have the, the final say on what happens with the character. Maybe we do end up with, uh, a more robust set of relationships and interactions between Spider-Man and Captain America. But yeah, say la vie. I, I didn't mind what they did with Tony Stark. It maybe went on a bit too long uh, and was a bit too pronounced, but um, at the end of the day, it, I think it kind of makes sense for the scientifically inclined kid to end up with the, with the inventor. Oh no, I, I, you know, I, I totally love that and I dig it. I just, uh, you know, I just felt like, but then again, I could say the same thing when they finally introduce the Fantastic Four. It'll be a bummer not to have them interact with, with Iron Man and you know, um, and whatever. But that's just—I mean—that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, going into rights and all that, you know, BS. But uh, but you know, what uh, what struck me about this story is it just—it doesn't. It kind of is, but it doesn't feel like like Spider-Man's greatest hits, right? It feels like, oh, we're getting the Sinister Six. Well, you, if it's the last story, you gotta have the Sinister Six. And if it's the last story, you know, you gotta have a pep talk from Captain America. And if it's the last story, you gotta have, you know, uh, this happen or this happen. It, 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 you know, there's little bits of that, but it doesn't feel forced. It feels organic, you know, getting the Sinister Six. And that's this wonderful splash page. You know, with with uh, you know Goblin and Doc Ock and Sandman and Electro and Vulture and uh, and Craven and just going, whoa! Like th this is this is gonna it's gonna hurt, but it's gonna be fun, you know, <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. story. Yeah, well, like to your point, we just had uh, what would be Amazing Spider-Man nine hundred come out last week, right? And that mm -hmm. was totally one of those stories where it's just like. Let's tick all the boxes for this jumbo-sized anniversary issue, and right. and it was okay. Like it, it was a fun enough story, but it, sure. it's not something all-time great. And you could very much see it being a bit of a um, of a marketing exercise, almost knowing that eyes were going to be on the on the book, and they'd be able to, you know, put some smiles on faces of people that don't normally read Spider-Man, but would death of ultimate spider-man like those elements that you're talking about it, it just felt like a a grand culmination as opposed to um just something that's all flash and no substance right right and and bendis has this really kind of fun way of he puts a you know there, there are bits that feel kind of like an action movie where it, it feels like something that you know, might happen in like a lethal weapon or something where, you know, the, the, the Sinister Six is escaping and Electro's like, yeah, I can fly the, the helicopter. And they're like, oh, I didn't know you could fly. He's like, well, you know, well, look at all this time we've spent together. Of course you don't know that. And mm -hmm. it's just kind of a fun, like, to convey sarcasm through, you know, still pictures is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Um but uh, but it's it's such a, a funny bit too because I remember just just you know rereading it I I like I'm laughing at it and feeling like you know why why am I kind of rooting for them to get out yeah I don't I should be rooting for them to leave you know but I I love the banter between the 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 six of them you know yeah the sinister six had very um very realistic personalities to them yeah uh, to a large extent except and. It worked, and especially because Norman was so over the top, yeah. And um, so he was a bit of an outlier, but having the rest of them being characters that it's like, well, yeah, you know, um, 
Flint Markle could be a normal guy if he didn't make these poor choices when he got his powers kind of thing or sure like look at Otto Octavius's uh conscience I can I can understand where he's coming from so yeah they, they did a great job of that type of stuff and to make the Sinister Six a compelling and interesting uh component of the entire story yeah it's uh and it's 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 interesting to see like you know, that the reason the Sinister Six kind of always fails and um, is, is partially because, you know, they're, they're villains. They can't work together. Right. And, you know, and and that might seem like a cop out, but it's but it's really true. You know, if they're they all have huge egos, they're all jerks, they're all bad guys. They're they're not going to play, you know, obviously, quote unquote, they don't play well with others. Right. Um, but I love the idea that that Doc Ock and, and Norman really go at it. And and this version of the Green Goblin is is one of my favorites because, as much as I love like the six one six version, this version is a different kind of crazy, right? You know, like mm-hmm. he's not as like schizophrenic wacko. He's very much just obviously not in control, but he thinks he's in control, right? And has no, he just has anger issues, and and Doc Ock's just like, hey, look, this is all well and good. I'm I'm happy that I'm out of prison. I'm going to go live my life. Hey, isn't it cool? We, we created Spider-Man. You just have to f- figure that if he hadn't said that, Norman probably would have let him go. Mm-hmm. But Norman's ego is so outrageous that he's like, no, 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 you didn't create him. I created him. And I'm literally going to kill you for saying that. And that's just effed up, man. <laughs> yeah, it it really puts the reader on edge and ups the, the stakes knowing that Norman is such a force to be reckoned with in this book and that he's so unhinged that Peter's not going to be able to reason his way out of it or the goblin's not going to capitulate in his quest to kill him. So you just know it's coming the whole way through. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's really uh, so well done where when, when Bendis needs to step back and let the art tell the story, he does. And you see, like, just the how terrified you know, Octavius is. Like, he knows he's going to die. You know, you've you seen those things on Twitter, right? The what's the best I'm going to die and I know it moment in movie history. It's like, well, if we could have a comic book version of that, I'd point to this and say, Doc Ock and, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, he just had this look on his face like, I'm not going to win this. I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And it's it, – and – in that moment, despite all the terrible things Doc Ock has done just in the ultimate Spider-Man side of things, you kind of feel bad for him. Like, he was just legitimately trying to leave, going, hey, I, I'm done with this. Like, thank you, but I'm done. And, yeah. and you know, and maybe Norman would have let him go. Maybe not if he hadn't said, you know, look at what we did. But, um, but I, you know, it's, it's funny rereading this and rediscovering that aspect of it because it reminded, obviously reminds me of No Way Home. And, and it was funny because as soon as, uh, you know, they, they saw each other in that movie, he's like, oh, Osborne, Octavius, you know, like, oh, what are you doing here? And I just thought, like, I guess it, that's cool. It, it would make sense that they would have known each other. Like, obviously, Norman Osborne was a public figure, but it's cool that maybe at some point their paths did cross as scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that aspect of it. And that felt, even in that, movie which is big and wild and crazy that that still felt real to me you know yeah and it it just it's one of those where you always have those connections within academia so it was it felt natural and yeah it's always cool when you have uh, these pockets within these movies that you feel it's an actual functioning world type of thing right so yeah um that's why that that bit in a way homework so exceedingly well yeah and and obviously those actors have great chemistry together too um and it's and it's different when it's you know a a comic being written by one guy that of course they're gonna have chemistry he's writing it right um but uh but so that's that's cool on their end that they got to uh put those together really well and and i will say that um you know a, a redeemed doc ock is kind of one of my favorite versions of the character, you know, like t- Superior Spider-Man, uh, you know, the end of No Way Home, even the end of Spider-Man 2, right? You know, the idea that 
he doesn't like he was driven kind of crazy, but at the end of the day, like okay, no, no, I'm a good guy. I can, I'm gonna help, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's cool for me, you know. And and that's and that's really what Peter wants, you know. He wants the he wants the bad guys to stop being bad guys, um, and so to 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 see that happen, even just for a moment, you know, I I felt like oh, this is kind of nice, you know. Like it doesn't and it doesn't feel out of character. It feels like oh, this is a cool cool moment for this character and of course you know osborne being osborne he's not gonna let somebody just like you know <laughs> leave um but uh that was something that i really uh really liked about it and and then the other uh and then when they you know after that they go to the tinkerer who uh, the actor's name is escaping me who played him in um uh homecoming right yeah. uh, and i just thought like man, like that's that's a character that I feel like I wish they would have used more in the other two Spider-Man movies because I I love I love that idea that he just he just makes villains for the bad or he makes you know weapons for the bad guys and you know and there's a great bit where Craven's like oh I would love to start a tab and the Tinkerer just has this look on his face like you've got to be kidding me <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's just so fun you know yeah no they did a great job having supporting characters like the tinker really sell that world and just yeah. what the what the rules are and what the group dynamics are and that it was it was special it, you know and it, and it feels and it, it does feel real like there's got to be somebody that they go to for weapons right um and i like that it's just vulture going hey i need my suit what's going on here and He's like, I'm not giving you anything until you give me my money. And then Norman goblins up and he's like, you're going to give him whatever he wants. He's like, okay. You know, like, uh, you, you just, there's a, there's, there's, there's just like a fun bit of like, it, you know, it's, it's such a, like a trope in a movie, right? Like the, the guys, you know, the nerdy guy is going to act all tough. Like, Hey, you know, you can't push me around. And then the other guy's bigger and he's like, okay, okay. Right. But, uh, I know that's a trope that works, you know, it's funny. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's so the real world works, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I've, I've had interactions like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not a very tall man. Uh, so, uh, but uh, you know, when, when Peter does show up uh, and, and this was another thing, I, I actually forgot about this. I forgot that this was the time when Johnny and uh, Bobby, you know, human torch and Iceman were living at, at Parker's house. Um, I, so I was, I totally forgot that that was part of it, despite having reread other <laughs> editions of Ultimate Spider-Man recently and thinking like, oh yeah, they, they, they did live there. And, and it also makes so that it, it, it helps us as the audience without even realizing it. Oh, th there's a reason Peter could, could beat them in his weakened state because you know, they quote unquote kind of softened him up. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. So, so that's cool. Yeah. No, they, they did such a great job in the ultimate books, rounding out that supporting cast and building bridges to the X-Men without making it forced or contrived. And it, you know, they tied him to the characters in that group that were uh, in his peer group with as far as age and everything else goes and the relationship with kitty pride so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it worked well and yeah it, the reader knowing that he's got these two fairly powerful mutants uh that could maybe even the odds and maybe he doesn't die maybe he just gets his butt kicked so bad that peter um metaphorically kills spider-man and hangs right. him up because he comes so close to dying type of thing so um you'd didn't you didn't necessarily know for sure that that's what was going to happen and because miles was something that was obviously seated a little bit but wasn't overtly waiting in the wings like oh. Oh, batman dies but dick grayson will just take the mantle or maybe it'll be jace fox or um it, you've got things kind of in play that you as a reader can draw lines to right away in this case miles wasn't immediately apparent so um, and the ultimate books being as popular as they were, you didn't really think that they would off them for sure. Yeah, it it there there was a sense I think of because uh, I I think they were starting to tease the new Spider Man because I'm pretty sure it was either September or October of that year that uh, that Miles premiered um, 2011. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not. Uh, I recorded that episode a while ago, so I don't remember exactly what I said, but I had the I had the stats in front of me. But um, but I remember them teasing a new Spider-Man for a while, and there was uh, you know in between the two volumes of Ultimate Spider-Man, there was Ultimate um, Fallout, and uh, where all the characters were kind of dealing with the death of Spider-Man, which I thought was adapted really really well into the uh, into the Spider-Verse movie. Um, yeah. Feeling like, you know, like oh yeah, I remember this in in the comics. You know that there was the big gathering at at, at you know St. Patrick's Church in New York, and um, you know the the difference there is that in that movie, obviously the the other Avengers aren't there or Ultimates, I should I guess I should say, um, but but here it it just uh, it feels just you know it it feels like there's this huge world outside of queens that mm-hmm. isn't in queens which is unfortunate yeah. because you know the one time peter really needs help he's not going to get it um and i think we we as the readers are, are going okay well captain america's going to show up right iron man's going to show up like nick fury's going to show up somebody's going to show up you know <laughs> um but uh but it's also kind of a payoff on that uh uh amazing spider-man cover where uh, you know, Punisher has a uh, Spider-Man in his scope, right? And he's going to shoot him. So he he got him in this one. <laughs> yeah, a jerk. Well, that, that is true. That is true. Yeah, and I kind of like that they they took it that way because the community and his family is the only thing that Peter really has left at the end of it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of for an everyman superhero. He's left with what the everyman would have, which would be your community and your family type of thing. Right. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I love that, uh, Mary Jane has a lot of agency in this story as well. Right. You know, like she doesn't, she's not just like the damsel in distress. Like, you know, she says to, uh, no, I know, I know you're upset. It's okay though. He comes back. Um, you know, it, you know, when he, um, you know, when there's trouble and Mary Jane's like, mom, I gotta go, I gotta go help. I gotta get out of here. And, her mom's like, no, we're not. You're not going anywhere. And Mary Jane does anyway. And Mary Jane ends up helping in the end. Um, and something that I think was missing from the uh, from the um, Sam Raimi movies, you know, like Mary Jane is basically just like, you know, she's kind of like Vicky Vale in in Batman '89. She just screams the whole time, you know. Uh, whereas in this, I felt like, oh, she gets stuff to do and she gets to help be the hero. Um, because that, you know, that's that's kind of the best part about Spider-Man is that for as much as a loner as he claims to be, he does have a great support system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and it was it was a nice payoff to just Ultimate Spider-Man as a whole, because it did have Peter have so many different relationships, and uh, a lot of them were still in play by the time uh, his death rolled around. But for Mary Jane to be kind of that one special one who was there with him in those last moments um and who was given some stuff to do in the story was awesome that's that's just a nice piece of planning and writing by bendis yeah yeah for sure and and i like that i i never and and bendis must have felt the same way but because i never liked how he killed off gwen that you know and it's sort of the same feeling i have about amazing spider-man 2 it's like you know you don't have to do it just because the comic books did it it's like Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, give me a break here. And I feel like Bendis at one point was just like, you know what, like, I'm going to bring Gwen back because I can. And he did. And I loved that. And I loved her being a part of this and feeling like she's, you know, like when she's like, just kick his butt, nothing fancy, come back to us. (laughs) You know, like, and it's such a, it's such a good moment too, where, you know, he tells May and Gwen, like, you got to get out of here. They know who I am. They're coming here. And, and then, and then at one point, you know, when their neighbor calls and says, May, did you know Peter is Spider-Man? Because I, I think he's in trouble. And, and, you know, and they, and May just comes back immediately. And what I love is feeling like the, that, that's like, how do you not love Aunt May? Like, you know, because I can also imagine the, uh, the older Aunt May in the regular 616 doing that too. You know, maybe not being able to be that much help, but being like, I'm not going to leave him there. I'm coming to help him. 
Oh yeah. Well, well, that maternal instinct kicks in for her big time and they did such a great job paying off her relationship with Peter and that she protects him right till the end. Right. And literally fights to the death for him. So. um. And and it is heartbreaking when, you know, when she's crying at the end, you know, it says, you know, and, and, and Johnny is, is upset too, because Johnny feels like he failed. He should have protected him and he couldn't. And, but I, but I, I, I just love that when Peter goes, he's just, he's like, it's okay. You know, and he says, I couldn't save him, but I can save you, you know, referring obviously to Uncle Ben. Yeah. And that just like warmed my heart, just going, I remember I was okay with Peter dying, feeling like he died. He died. Not only did he die a hero, but he died feeling fulfilled right you know yes that's such a that's such a rare thing in life let alone like comic books right you know yeah no they did it, it was the perfect um bookend to his story right and mm-hmm. like like you said he gets to die a hero making up for his greatest failure right and and it's so uh and it's and it's well done because you know the the first few issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, you kind of get the sense that Bendis was writing this feeling like if I got one shot at Spider-Man, this is it. And because mm-hmm. that first uh, first volume is not a knock because I love it, uh, you know, you know, just like flies by. Whereas like this one also kind of flies by, but it also feels like there's there's so much history and there's so much that's happened to this character, and we feel the weight of it throughout the the whole thing right mm-hmm. um and <laughs> there's a, there's a, such a good bit too where peter is you know has this internal monologue and he's like you know is, isn't there anyone out there that can come help me you know like shield the x-men the team tight and then he gets beat and then he gets attacked you know um so yeah, teen titans she- exists in <laughs> ultimate universe <laughs> yeah exactly oh spider-man on the teen titans would be a dream dream come true I, I would love to see him interact with uh with Nightwing with Dick Grayson. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Yeah. But it seems like something that's meant to be. And but you know, and, and, and why not Marvel and DC? Let's just get on that tangent for a second. What the heck are you all doing? Like your comic book division is like your you know, it's just it's not your moneymaker stuff, right? You know, there's good stuff in it, obviously. We're the fans. But like mm-hmm. you're not gonna it's not going to hurt anybody if you just figure some stupid thing out to put them together again, you jerks. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. But just kind of hearing the Herculean effort that Marie Javins had to go through to be able to republish Justice League Avengers um, to support George Perez doesn't instill me with a lot of confidence that Disney will play ball with them. Uh, No, I, uh, I, yeah, you're you're totally right there, which is unfortunate because uh, that's a great story too, um, mm-hmm. and I would cover it on here except that Spider-Man appears, I think, in like two panels. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get to it one of these days when we run out of sixty years of Spider-Man books. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's I I think what's great about this is that you know I I mean I could go on all day every day about what makes Ultimate Spider-Man my favorite Spider-Man, but just the you know, Bendis really, you know, he's so good at capturing, like, you know, how a teenager feels and acts. And, and I love that throughout most of this, like, after his, uh, his conversation with uh, Captain America, Peter wises up. Peter is no nonsense. You know, he's still cracking wise, as he always does. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, he's like, okay, like, you know, uh, he, when he shows up and he, and he's like, you know, he throws the vulture like, you know, five blocks away. And he's like, all right, who's next? I'm just like cheering, going, that's Peter Parker. That's Spider-Man. Yeah, get him, you know? <laughs> yeah, he gets the kind of apex hero moment yeah. in, that, in that book and in that moment type of thing. And he's, yeah, you kind of feel that agency that he would have had if he was able to persist right up to the end. Right, right. And... And it's it's cool to see him, you know, just 
taking on the Goblin, who's this probably the most powerful version of the Goblin throughout all of the comics, right? And, you know, saying, you know, I've journeyed, you know, to see the face of God, to be here right now, kind of wacko insanity talk, you know? Uh, um, and then he, and then Peter's just like, he's just like, picks up a truck and says, shut up, and just you know, knocks him over the head with it. I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they did a good job, kind of, like you said, having Peter grow up after his pep talk with Captain America and mm -hmm. take things to the next level for that final chapter of his of his journey as a hero yeah and and it's it's a shame you know and i know eventually bendis kind of brought him back i you know uh, and i don't quite know how that works um <laughs> other than i i saw an interview with bendis and somebody said like so how come you brought him back and he's like well i missed him and yeah. i was like you know what cool i'm fine with it <laughs> you know um yeah because well, I think uh, that was in the death throes of the ultimate universe anyways, right? So, right. So it's like at that point, eh, who cares? You know, you can do whatever we want, uh, which was in, uh, you know, towards the end of, uh, uh, oh my gosh, my, why am I blanking? Uh, Miles's run uh, mm -hmm. before they did the Secret Wars stuff, which maybe we'll see some sort of version in the, uh, um, in the upcoming movie in 2025. I don't know. Uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, I assume that'll be how they shortcut bringing a pile of those characters into the MCU, right? Like, right. that's how you can build in your X-Men and um, anybody else that you want to bring in. And in right. fact, you can kind of take those first steps with Fantastic Four and, yeah. and uh, the old connections. And uh, and Hercules, you know, who's... Uh, Somebody apparently we've been missing throughout all these movies. And <laughs> have we been missing him? I, I don't know. I I, I haven't. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was funny because I uh, you know on this tangent for a second when that character I, I was reading that a lot of people were excited that they were like oh yeah he's in he's in Thor isn't that awesome isn't that awesome and I was like Hercules really like I've read a couple comics so he's an okay character and then I found out it was because it was Brett Goldstein and I haven't seen Ted Lasso yet. And everybody's just obsessed with Ted Lasso. So that's why they're excited because Brett Goldstein is in the MCU, not Hercules. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a weird mindset with all that stuff right now. Yeah. Where but, it's just like, yeah, the connections are almost more important than the actual films. Right. And that's just where we are at this point, you know, you know, almost 15 years into this into this thing. Right. You know, with mm -hmm. starting all the way back with Iron Man, um, and, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, and I do think about it quite a lot, you know, going, man, like to think that where, you know, how it started and how it's going, you know, again, that thing on Twitter. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's interesting. Um, but I love that, that we've gotten, uh, I've loved the, the MCU Spider-Man stuff. And I, I, you know, I, I understand the criticisms about like Iron Boy and stuff like that, but honestly, a, lo a lot of it didn't bother me because I felt like. Well, this is their version of the character, you know, just like Ultimate was, you know, that version of the character. And Amazing has their version of the character. And there's a whole Spider-Verse with like, you know, an infinite number of other characters. Right. Um, so that never really bothered me. I just thought like, oh, that's that's how they're doing it. And I, I dig it. Tom Holland's awesome, you know. Yeah. Well, and to bring it back to Ultimate Spider-Man, like that's maybe why like guys like you and I could reconcile it uh, as easily as we did was that um, we've seen it done before where it's like, yeah, that's, we know it exists, but this is our version for the story that we're telling and how he fits in and, you know, give us a chance and we'll sell you on it. So yeah, I'm like very much like you. I, I really liked Tom Holland, Spider-Man and, uh, how they handled him for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that they shortchanged the things that make Peter Parker great a little bit, but at the same time, um, none of my criticisms were because they didn't rigidly adhere to some perception as to what Spider-Man should be. I had in my mind's eye. It was right. just like, there's, there's pieces that you could be playing with that are more meaningful than the ones that you are using. It was yeah. kind of more where I came from with it. Uh, and, I, and that's a that's a good that's a good way to put it. And apparently, the, given the way No Way Home ended, that's where the next couple of movies could go. You know, um, mm -hmm. with our with the more traditional Peter Parker 
and uh, hopefully a Peter Parker and uh, Matt Murdock, you know, uh, cross fingers, I can't do it, <laughs> uh, you know, team up, you know, because that's, that's what I've been wanting to see. I was like, Daredevil season two? Okay, no. Daredevil season three? Oh, how about season four? Oh, they canceled it? Okay. You know, <laughs> so may, maybe in the, in the Born Again series, I hope, you know, or in the next Spider-Man movie. I don't know. That's yeah. a whole other rant I could go on. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Carlos, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad that you picked this story. This is uh, one of my favorites. And, you know, I say that and then I said, oh, I barely remembered it, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, shut up, everybody. All right. I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this this was a total blast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I was glad that inspiration struck to select this one. I know um, you've had a cadre of amazing guests and you guys have been knocking down loads and loads of really cool stories. And um, yeah, I was glad that this one kind of fell through the cracks maybe, or wasn't one of the sexier picks up front and (laughs) you and I could kind of run through it. Cause yeah, it's a pretty special take and it's something that uh, they might not necessarily have available to do in, in the regular 616 universe, but um, they ended up being able to tell a pretty special tale in the ultimate universe you know and 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 like i said this was one that um that i I reread twice before we recorded um Mm -hmm. which i don't really do um partially because i don't have time uh but partially because it's it's like i'll read it and then the next day we'll record whereas in this case i like made a point to like reread it before we recorded because i was just like i there's so much in it that I want to talk about. I want, I want to make sure I don't miss anything, right? And I'm sure I missed plenty. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we'll, but we'll just. But that'll be for part two. Oh, that's right, Carlos. I forgot to tell you, you're staying for the rest of the night. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, unless you want to, we can keep going. <laughs> uh, but uh, but thank you again. And uh, one one more question before we uh, before I let you go here. Um, do you have a local comic book store that you want to plug? Oh yeah. Uh, you know what? It's uh words and pictures here in the city of Calgary and they're just on kind of center street and uh, kind of 23 ish. Maybe. Um, but yeah, center street, just kind of by tuxedo sports. If you're local here, it'll make a lot of sense. If you're a listener in, uh, texas it won't make a lot of sense but uh yeah you know what they are a phenomenal shop they are uh the leaders in the back issue game here in the city and the thing i love the most about them is that they have a certified qualified grader that um takes in all their books that does all their assessing of collections they buy loads of collections and they put books out but they don't send stuff away to be graded and they're not trying to cash in on things so lots of opportunity to find wonderful books for very reasonable prices. I'm not a huge guy by any stretch of the imagination. So it's nice to be able to buy, you know, I, I love buying comics with like legendary covers type of thing. Oh yeah. It's nice to be able to find those at reasonable prices. And if I want to send them away to get graded, great. If my kids send them away to get graded, that's fine too. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I I love that store and uh, wonderful folks in there and pretty impeccable file service as well. So, yeah, and they're dudes that truly love comic books. So uh, I know Jay, the one manager, has been on our show once and it went over phenomenally well. And there's very few people that could talk comic books like that guy. So, um yeah, if you're in the city visiting and you want to load up on some amazing back issues um, and current stuff as well, they have a pretty robust selection always available. Uh, that's the spot to hit. That That is awesome. Uh, one that I definitely would, would want to check out too. And I love that you have your own grader there. I've never heard that. Um, I'm sure they're yeah. around, but uh, I don't have one in my store. <laughs> but, uh, but that's cool. Uh, especially when you want to find those like you know, and I remember saying this to my, my other sister was like, I just want to buy this because I like the cover. Is is that normal? And I was like, that's 100% normal. You know how many comics I own? I've never actually opened. I just love the cover, you know? 
yeah one like when you can find like books so like to tie it to your show like back <laughs> we're knocking on like the 75th anniversary of the character now i think but um back when they hit the 50th anniversary or maybe 60th anniversary of spider-man they did uh, IGN did a poll amongst readers for the 50 greatest Spider-Man covers of all time. And for whatever reason, I decided to go try and hunt them all down. And obviously I'm not going to be able to afford something like amazing fantasy number 15. So those ones were kind of the reprints and all that type of stuff. But uh, a lot of the newer stuff that wouldn't see that type of treatment, uh, I was able to get through words and pictures and, to be honest, I, I think I need less than 10 of the, the 50 covers now, but it was cool <laughs> to be able to poach all those books. That, that's that's so awesome, Gary. Man after my own heart. So, uh, stuff that I like to do, too. Um, so that's awesome. Um, and uh, so, Carlos, uh, you know, uh, we're uh, in the uh, interwebs, uh, pun intended, web, web. Uh, if people are looking for you, can they find you? Yeah, so just Carlos DM or uh, it's canadian cape crusader so cdn caped crusade r uh on twitter is where you'll find me it's pretty much the only social media that i use um (laughs) and yeah you can hook up with me there or i co-host a podcast uh called the nerd room podcast and yeah we drop a show typically every week and it's everything in the world of kind of dc marvel star wars and beyond uh we do have a pretty decent um angle with like kind of toy collecting and cool swag and merch that we like to talk about on the show and then also kind of current events uh in the world of geekdom so yeah check us out and it's uh pretty pg and uh a pretty quick listen typically not a lot of ranting on our show we're we're lean and mean so give us <laughs> well, give us a try uh well you have that over me i do a lot of ranting uh, <laughs> um but uh but yeah so yeah check check carlos out uh awesome guy um and uh and uh you you all can't tell right now but damn good looking too uh so <laughs> <laughs> thanks buddy it's stoking my ego here <laughs> um as for me, you can find me at Spider-Man Books on Twitter, and uh, you can email me Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man Book Club at gmail.com. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please write a review, uh, subscribe, tell your friends. You know, uh, it's the best way to get buds in ears, uh, which is my way of ripping off my, my friends at uh, Drama Shop, a local theater. They say best way to get butts in seats, so I say buds in ears. Uh, I'm sorry, Zach Flock, I've stolen your thing. Uh, but again, he's not listening, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but thanks again, Carlos, for joining me. And uh, to all you webheads out there, just have one word to say to you. You know what it is. Excelsior! <laughs>